Section 19 of Four American Indians by Edson L. Whitney and Francis M. Perry. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 9 of the Story of Tecumseh. Chapter 9 Preparations for War. A year of unrest and anxiety followed the council at Vincennes. The United States government made an attempt to survey the new purchase, but the surveyors were driven off by the Indians. Occasional outrages were committed on both sides. Horses were stolen, several white men were murdered by Indians, and several Indians were murdered by white men. In the spring of 1811, when the usual supply of salt was sent up the Wabash to be distributed among the tribes, the Indians at the Prophetstown, instead of again rejecting it, seized it all. This was done in the absence of Tecumseh, who seemed in every way to seek to avoid bringing about war. Governor Harrison knew the treacherous nature of Indians and feared that Tecumseh's desire for peace might be feigned in order to throw him off his guard. He reasoned that it was scarcely to be expected and little to be wished that the United States should relinquish the territory for which the Indians were contending. The Indians would hardly give up the land without war. Delay only gave Tecumseh time to strengthen his band. Harrison thought it was wise to force the brothers to open war or to give assurance of peace. Accordingly, he wrote them a letter or speech in which he said, Brothers, this is the third year that all the white people in this country have been alarmed at your proceedings. You threaten us with war. You invite all the tribes to the north and west of you to join against us. Brothers, your warriors who have lately been here deny this but I have received information from every direction. The tribes on the Mississippi have sent me word that you intend to murder me, and then to commence a war upon our people. I have also received the speech you sent to the Potawatomis and others to join you for that purpose. But if I had no other evidence of your hostility to us, your seizing the salt I lately sent up the Wabash is sufficient." Brothers, our citizens are alarmed, and my warriors are preparing themselves, not to strike you, but to defend themselves and their women and children. You shall not surprise us as you expect to do. You are about to undertake a very rash act. As a friend, I advise you to consider well of it. A little reflection may save us a great deal of trouble and prevent much mischief. It is not yet too late." Brothers, if you wish to satisfy us that your intentions are good, follow the advice I have given you before. That is, that one or both of you should visit the President of the United States and lay your grievances before him. He will treat you well, will listen to what you say, and if you can show him that you have been injured, you will receive justice. If you will follow my advice in this respect, it will convince the citizens of this country and myself that you have no design to attack them. Brothers, with respect to the lands that were purchased last fall, I can enter into no negotiations with you on that subject. The affair is in the hands of the President. If you wish to go and see him, I will supply you with the means. If either of the brothers should act upon the Governor's advice and go to Washington, he would be virtually a hostage in the hands of the government and the Indians would not dare to do the settlers any harm lest their leader should come to grief because of their misdoing. Tecumseh sent the governor a brief, friendly reply, in which he promised to go to Vincennes himself in a short time. 
Governor Harrison did not know just what to expect from the proposed visit, but he remembered Pontiac's attempt to capture Detroit by surprise, and he prepared to give his guest a warlike reception if need be. Late in July the chief arrived, attended by about three hundred Indians. A council was held which the governor opened by recounting the injuries the white men had suffered at the hands of the Indians, and by again making the charge that the Indians were preparing for war. Tecumseh replied with a counter-enumeration of injuries, and said again that the Indians would never give up the land in dispute, but that it was his wish and hope that the matter could be settled peaceably. He said that he was trying to build up a strong nation of red men after the model of the seventeen fires, and that he was on his way to visit the southern tribes to invite them to join his league. He assured Governor Harrison that he had given the strictest orders that the northern Indians should remain at peace during his absence, and that as soon as he returned he would go to Washington to settle the land question. Tecumseh then hastened to the south, where he worked to good effect among the Creeks and Seminoles, persuading them to join his confederacy. It is said that where he could not persuade, he threatened. One story illustrating his manner of dealing with those that resisted him is as follows. Visiting a tribe which listened coldly to his words and seemed unwilling to take part in his plans, he suddenly lost all patience. With fierce gestures and a terrible look, he shouted, You do not think what I say is true. You do not believe this is the wish of the Great Spirit. I will show you. When I reach Detroit, I will stamp my foot on the earth, and the earth will tremble and shake your houses down about your ears. The tale goes on to say that after due time had elapsed for Tecumseh to reach Detroit, an earthquake shook down all the dwellings of the village he had left in anger. Whether this is true or not, Tecumseh certainly had wonderful influence over all tribes. Governor Harrison wrote to the Secretary of War about him. If it were not for the vicinity of the United States, he would perhaps be the founder of an empire that would rival in glory Mexico or Peru. No difficulties deter him. For four years he has been in constant motion. You see him today on the Wabash, and in a short time hear of him on the shores of Lake Erie or Michigan, or on the banks of the Mississippi and wherever he goes, he makes an impression favorable to his purpose. He is now upon the last round to put a finishing stroke to his work. I hope, however, before his return, that that part of the work which he considered complete will be demolished, and even its foundation rooted up. In the meantime, Tecumseh trusted Governor Harrison with childlike simplicity. It seems not to have occurred to him that the governor would not remain inactive until he had completed his arrangements and opened the war. Indeed, there were those at Washington who also thought this was what Harrison would do, and ought to do, that is, keep on the defensive until the Indians made some outbreak. This was not the feeling on the frontier, however. The frontiersmen were in no humor to sit still and wait for the Indians to scalp them at their plows or burn them in their beds. Their cry was, On to Tippecanoe. This spirit was in accord with the governor's inclination. A man of action and bred to military life, Harrison favored prompt, vigorous measures. He believed this a favorable time for an attack on the prophet's town. Tecumseh was well out of the way, and had left orders for the tribes to remain at peace during his absence. 
as many would hesitate to disobey his command, there would be no united resistance. Besides, the prophet had been left in charge, and a victory over him would destroy the Indian's faith in his supernatural power. This faith Harrison had come to regard as the backbone of the Indian alliance. Moreover, the British were not in a position to give the Indians open assistance, and they would learn from a few battles fought without their aid how little trust was to be put in British promises. For these reasons, Harrison wrote to the War Department, urging immediate action and asking for troops and authority to march against Tippecanoe. The troops were granted, but with the instruction that President Madison wished peace with the Indians preserved, if possible. End of section 19